Amen. Amen. Oh, that was wonderful. Um, if you have a Bible, if you'd like to open up to Psalm 51, we'll get there in a moment. Psalm 51. If you're just joining with us, or if you've been with us for the past number of weeks in December, you know that we're going through this uh, kind of a mini-series called God is Working His Plan. We've been looking at, the, at Matthew's genealogy leading to Jesus, just grabbing one of the names, going to the Old Testament story, grabbing hold of a truth that's found within their story, and then pressing it for application. So different than our normal series, we're going through 1 Timothy currently, picking that back up in January. But what we so far have seen, what we've so hard grabbed hold of, God keeps his promises, God brings light and darkness, and these are big themes. Like I was actually thinking in the new year, I'm going to write these in a notebook, leave tons of space, and then as I read through scripture over the next year, fill it in. That, you know, God keeps his promises. I want to keep writing down the promises of God, remembering, praying them, celebrating them. God brings light and darkness. That's throughout the Bible. And today we're looking at another really big theme. God redeems broken humanity. And, and, and why is that such a big theme? Because humans are broken. Like, that, this is the amazing thing. Humanity is broken. You look around, things are not as it ought to be. Things are, are, are pretty messed up. But God redeems broken humanity. This is the time of the year we're celebrating as Christ has come to do away with the effects of the curse. And it was, as we think through this message today, I kind of had this picture in mind of, uh, of the Russian dolls or stacking dolls or nesting dolls. I didn't even know they had these names. But you, you've maybe seen those, those dolls that like you have like a really big one, but you can open it up and there's another smaller doll inside and you can open it up and another smaller doll in. And the reason I'm describing this to you is that's what this message is going to kind of be like. We're going to start in Matthew. We're going to look at one of these names. And then as we're going to kind of open it up, we're going to be talking about David and David and Bathsheba, and then look at that story. And then from there, within that story, there's Psalm 51, which we're going to be reading here in a moment. And then if we kind of would press down to Psalm 51, kind of application for each one of us today. And so that's kind of how the message is going to look, God willing. And I, and I pray the Lord will press it into our hearts. So if you want to stand with me, we're going to read Psalm 51. Even in terms of the message, we'll get there kind of in the middle of it. Psalm 51 even says at the beginning, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, your delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the, in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or, I, or I'd give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion and in your good pleasure build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. And just before going on any further, I'd just like to pray. Oh God, it's, already, it's been a joy already to sing songs to your name. And now as we open up your word, as we look at the story of David and Bathsheba, and see the brokenness there. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be at work in our hearts. Shine your light, O oh God. Show us our brokenness. Show us the sin that's hidden away. Expose it. And then as, as we look at the psalm, as we see David's repentance, as we see him turning to you, Lord, I pray each one of us, whatever it is that we have, whatever it is that we have in our life, or maybe things to come in the future, may you press this word upon us that we would go to you in our brokenness and find healing and find restoration. But, oh, Lord, I pray you would speak this word to our hearts. Give us open ears and open hearts to do your work among us. Glorify Jesus Christ, I pray, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can... Um, so we read Psalm 51, but I want to remind you, there's kind of this main thread running through this series of messages that I've been talking about, and it's in the beginning. But in the beginning, like after God created everything and it was good, it was very good, and as sin entered into the world, as Adam and Eve took a fruit they were not supposed to, and then, and then God offers these curses as, a, as brokenness enters into the world, and there's this curse he speaks to the serpent, and speaks to Eve, and I keep reiterating it, Genesis 3.15, the second part, and, and the Lord says to the serpent, there's one from Eve who's going to crush your head. There's an offspring of Eve who's going to come, and he's going to step on the head of the snake, and all throughout the scripture, we're looking and waiting, who is it going to be, where is he going to come from, and that is the Messiah, I'm telling you, there's this, it's woven all throughout Scripture, whether you realize it or not. You're like, who is going to come and set things right? Who's going to deal with sin and this brokenness? And that's why it's a, it's a major theme throughout Scripture. God redeems broken humanity. Right from the first part of the curse, God says, hey, someone's coming from Eve. Going to crush the head of the snake. He's going to make things right. And so, Kind of in beginning this message, if you will, if you can mark Psalm 51, we're going to be back there. I'm just going to look briefly at Matthew 1.6, Matthew's genealogy. 
Matthew 1.6. This genealogy leading uh, to Jesus Christ. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Do you see this? Jesse was the father of David, the king. It's, it's highlighted. He is the king. If, even if you look at 1 verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, it must be clarified that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he must come from the line of David. It's prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. The Messiah would come from David, right? He'd be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. He'd be a descendant of him. So it's, it's interesting as you go through this list of names and then you get to Jesse, the father of David, the king. This is the king. But what does it say about the king? And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. <laughs> Not his own wife, but by the wife of Uriah. I'm telling you, as brokenness. That's, that's the, as we're going to look at that story in greater detail, that's like, man, really? But actually, all throughout this list of names, this genealogy, if you look at it, we also have in verse 4, or sorry, even verse 5, Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. If that's, if that's Rahab, the prostitute, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, and then we have, even if we went up, up, up more to verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez, by Zerah, by Tamar. And if you know that story, that's not a good story at all, how Judah had kids with Tamar. There's just sinful, broken people down the line of Jesus Christ. There's a brokenness within the genealogy leading to Jesus Christ. I hope we can see that there's Judah, there's Rahab, there's David with the wife of Uriah. And so now just taking that story, I want to look at David's story with Bathsheba we're going to turn our attention there now. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 11, we'll look more into the details of that story. 1 Samuel chapter 11. And just as you're turning there, as we're talking about David the king, right? This is the same David from Sunday school stories who killed Goliath. This is the same, like, just very quickly, like, who is this David the king? Well, David, if we, if we read in Scripture, before this time, before this story, it's like David sought the Lord. David was a man after God's own heart. David prayed before he did things. David worshipped often. He wrote so many psalms in Scripture. And just looking there before this story, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5, you don't have to turn there. Or sorry, 1 Samuel, yeah, chapter 5, David is anointed king. It's not 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. I'm in 1 Samuel for some reason. 2 Samuel chapter 5, David is anointed the king. 2 Samuel chapter 6, the ark is brought to Jerusalem. David's about worship. This is a big thing for him. Hey, we're going to bring the ark to Jerusalem. We're going to worship the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a covenant with David. Just looking at verse 12 and 13. God says this to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up 
your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Hear this. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. These amazing promises made to David, but if you are reading throughout, you're like, oh yeah, David, a man after God's own heart. That makes sense. God would make a covenant with him. And then, and then for 2 Samuel chapter 8 says the same thing at the end of verse 6, the same thing at the end of verse 14. The Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Story after story of his victories, of his military expansion, like he couldn't be defeated, not because he was just an amazing warrior, because God was with him. I just want to keep leading you up to this story. It's like, wow, yeah, David. That makes sense that God would bring the Messiah through David. But then we get to this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we see his brokenness. Starting in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, that be the capital of the Ammonites. But David remained at Jerusalem. So you just see this already. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, right, when the weather's good and there's maybe more food available, this is the time when kings go out to fight. Everybody went out to fight, but David, the king, remained in Jerusalem. So you already just see something kind of going wrong here. Maybe David's not doing what he's supposed to do. We, can, we have a, some lessons learned about sin, even as we look through this story of brokenness. Do we not eliminate temptation in a major way if we just be faithful in the things in front of us? And when we don't, when we shrug them off, it opens the door towards sin. If you just think, if you have a job and, and you're working hard at your job and working hard at your job causes you, you need sleep and you need to go to sleep and do it again, but you quit working hard at your job and so you feel like you need less sleep and you can stay up and watch all types of garbage. And it's just that maybe that sin of like you just weren't working hard like you should, which would cause you to sleep. Even you think just as students, if maybe you have like tons of homework to do, and being faithful in that. But you're like, ah, I'm not going to do their homework. And then you, it leads to maybe hanging out with friends and being in places you shouldn't be. But if you would just be faithful in the small things, it can keep you from other temptations and other sins. I could press that point really hard. I won't. But it's just something that's interesting. David's a king. He's supposed to be fighting battle. He didn't go. He stayed in Jerusalem. One small thing. One area of sin can lead to greater areas of sin, as we see in the story. In verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And so David wasn't a sin to go out and walk around in a hot place to get out of the room. And as he was going... We're not going to really focus on Bathsheba, but this woman's bathing on the roof. And David, he could have seen, okay, and turned his eyes. Right? He, he could have seen and turned his eyes, but apparently glanced lo long enough, hard enough. Oh, it's a very beautiful woman. We read about Job. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes never to look at a woman in, with lust. David did not seem to make that same covenant with his eyes. 
But friends, think about it. We, we can't really help what we see with our eyes, but we can help the second glance. Martin Luther said something to the effect of, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. <laughs> but what I mean in terms like David, he's out walking around the roof, he sees a woman bathing, and he can look away. Like in sin, there's levels of sin, friends. And I hope you can see, I hope we can get convicted. If there's something in your life that you're walking towards, in Jesus Christ, you can always turn. You don't have to keep walking. David had an opportunity here that he could turn away from the sin. But as, as one commentator says, the glance becomes the gaze. What goes through his eyes now starts to reign in his mind as a thought. We look at verse 3, and David sent and inquired about the woman. He's continuing to walk down this path. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So apparently her beauty was so well known. Maybe David's like, hey, there's this woman. She lives in this area of town. Everyone's like, oh, that's Bathsheba. Her beauty was so well known. What does it say there about her, though? The wife of Uriah the Hittite. Again, here's another opportunity, David. This is someone's wife. He could turn away. And more, and whose wife is it? It's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And if you would continue to read in Scripture in 2 Samuel 23, 39, we won't read there, but 2 Samuel 23, there's this list of David's mighty men. And I would just say, if you have a translation that, that says mighty warriors, I don't know. It's okay. He had men. They were all men, and they were mighty men. And, and there was, he was surrounded by these warriors. That's what made David great. The Lord blessed him with great people around him. And there's this list of people of his warriors, and Uriah the Hittite is one of his mighty warriors. So it's not just some random guy. It's someone who is actually kind of within the inner circle who's fighting battles for David. Oh, it's the husband of this woman. Of verse 5, but David continues. Or sorry, verse 4. So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him. And he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house. And why that is there, if you think about it, it's that in, in Israel, if a woman, as she had her period, she was unclean for a period of seven days, and after that, she was to uh, purify herself. So there's this ritual pure, purity thing happening, but it's also saying, like, she wasn't currently pregnant. That's what's also being told us from the text. She wasn't carrying Uriah's baby at the time. Just brutal, though. David sleeping with another man's wife. In verse 5, and the woman conceived, and she said and told David, I'm pregnant. It doesn't even say Bathsheba, just the woman conceived. It points the attention is on David, it's on his sin. Though he sinned with Bathsheba, this is the focus of the text and of this message. So sin happens, she's pregnant. What's his solution going to be? Well, it be to repent, well, be to come clean. Again, every aspect, every step along the way in going towards sin, you can always turn to Jesus Christ and repent. Or David could turn, put his faith in God, confess, go to the temple. But he, but he doesn't. 
He continues on this path. In verse 6, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, how the war was going. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Right? He's bringing this man back from fighting in battle. He's like, oh, yeah, send him to his wife. This is his plan. Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and, do not go, and did not go down to his house. See the contrast between David and Uriah. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, why have you not come, from a, have you not come home from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel. No, he starts with the ark. He's concerned about God. What about David? The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then not go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. He was a man of integrity. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk in hopes that he could get him to go and sleep with his wife and, and be done away, hide this sin. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch in the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Like, this is the, the thing that's being highlighted here. Uriah did not go home. He was a man of integrity. One commentator says this, David had expected and hoped that Uriah would prove to be like himself. Instead, he proved to be a man of integrity whose first loyalty was the king's interest rather than to his own pleasure. And so David, again, he's like, he's going down this path of sin from seeing it with his eyes, from putting it in his thought, from walking in action. Now he's continued to go down a slippery slope of deceit. In verse 14, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Think about that, carrying his own note that said what? In the letter, verse 15, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. It's so brutal, he has him killed. We see again these steps of sin. From the things that we see to the thoughts that we think to leading to actions and lies and deception and for David to murder. Sin is, is putrid. But we don't think about that with those first glances. We don't think about that with those first thoughts. But it's wicked all along the way. So David has him killed. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done dis displeased the Lord. That's the first time you see that in David's whole story. A man after God's own heart. God was faithful to him, blessing him. The thing David had done dis displeased the Lord. And God sends his servant Nathan in verse 12, in chapter 12, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little 
Ulam, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Righteous anger, right? Like what hypocrisy? And he continues, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Like what a rebuke. Silence him from speaking. Friends, we could continue to read on and on. We see the consequences of David's sin. The child between him and Bathsheba dies. And in time, we're going to look at David's repentance. We're going to look at that David is forgiven, but there's consequences to his sin. The child dies. Kind of the sword enters his family line. Sexual sin is within it. It's brutal. Yet through this broken union, David with the wife of Uriah, God used this brokenness to bring about Solomon. Just look at verse 24 and 25. It's after the death of this other son. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, because of the Lord. So in this brokenness, in this, this sin, this messed up coming together, God brings this other child, Solomon. And, and that's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Like, that's, that's unbelievable. We always see throughout Scripture between God's broken people, God working his plan to bring the Messiah and bring it through broken people. I've, I've said before, I've said again, like, I don't know if, if I wrote the Bible, if you wrote the Bible, what would the lineage of Jesus Christ look like? It'd be like squeaky clean, upright people, holy people. I don't know where we would find them, <laughs> but right, that's a kind of list that we would think of that we would want to write. And even, and I've said before, and I'll say it again, many people say, yeah, the, the church is full of hypocrites. And I say, amen. Yes, it is. I'm one of them. That's why we need Jesus Christ. Because I know way more how I should be living compared to what I do. Lord, help me. But you could also say when people say, hey, the church is full of hypocrites, and, and have you seen the lineage of Jesus Christ? Have you seen the, the, the people, the sinners that are in that line? Do you know of Judah and Tamar? Do you know of David and Uriah's wife? But God, he redeems broken humanity. He redeems each one of us as we come to him. So I hope you can see that brokenness in Matthew 1.6. For sure you see the brokenness in the story we looked at here in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. 
Well, when Nathan rebuked David, he took it to heart. And he went and he repented and he wrote Psalm 51. And so I'm going to turn our attention there, thinking of, of someone who's broken in their sin, learning from him. If you want to turn your attention with me now to Psalm 51. What do you do when you're broken? As we're looking at Psalm 51, we're not going to go through all of it. We're going to go through some points of it. But I don't know about you, sometimes as I'm reading Scripture, and even as I'm, so as I'm preaching now, we're looking at Psalm 51, but it's like if we were mining for gold, like as we're looking at Psalm 51, and we're looking, and basically there's like there are big gold nuggets on the surface that we're just picking up. But we're not drilling deep. There's lots of gold beneath the surface too, but we're going to get a bunch of big gold nuggets from Psalm 51, but we're not going to go into every part of it. So Psalm 51, the first step I think we need to learn from David, know you're broken. Know you're broken. Look at verse 5. So I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be jumping all over the place, but know you're broken. Look at verse 5 with me, Psalm 51. David wrote this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David's acknowledging, hey, it wasn't just this sin that I did. It's actually been the whole time. And we need to acknowledge that ourselves, that we are born sinners, that we are born broken. And we all have a natural tendency to me, myself, and I. I talked about before, we have little children. You don't have to train them to be selfish. You got to try to train them to share. You don't try to train them to hit other people. You got to, hey, keep your hands to yourself. Because we're all born sinners. We're born in rebellion to God. Romans 3, 10 to 11, I'll just read it for us. It says, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. This is from, our, from the get-go, Jeremiah 17, 9. Saying the same thing, Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Commentator Mark Futado puts it this way, Our moral failures are, simply, are not simply a matter of what we do. They are a matter of what we do because of who we are. We need to come to the place of, oh, that's true for me. I was born in sin. We need to come to the place of, actually, I'm the problem. It's not my environment. It's not a, a system. It's not someone else's fault. It's not, hey, I'm just having a bad day. No, actually, I'm the problem. I'm broken. We need to know you're broken. Again, looking at Psalm 51, Verse 3, we need to, also we need to then own our sin. Verse 3 is, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David says, I know my transgressions. I know my sin. Even we saw before, David needed to be called out on it by Nathan. Right? Pride leads to blindness and hypocrisy. And he's like, oh yeah, what, we, what should we do about this guy who took the lamb? And Nathan's like, you are that man. But then he owns his sin. Yes, my sin is ever before you, O oh, oh Lord. I pray for all of us. God, give us eyes to see our own faults and our own sin against him. We've all heard the term, if it's not broke, don't fix it. 
Absolutely, I'm not a handyman. If it's not broke, I'm not gonna mess around with that thing. But think about it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If we don't know what we've done is wrong, we can't own it. But in our brokenness, it's kind of like this. It's like a, a little kid who's sitting at a table with like chocolate over his hands, over his face, and everywhere. And the parents are like, did you eat the chocolate cake? That's like us before God. <laughs> it's obvious. But we need sometimes his holy light to shine into our lives from his word, by his spirit. You're like, okay, I see my sin. I see my brokenness. Because you just think, if it's not broke, don't fix it. That's why I need the light of the word of God to like, no, I am broken. I do see my sin. I am knowing it. And because I'm broken, I need you, Lord, to fix me. So verse 4, if we want to, we know we are broken from birth. We want to own our sin. In verse 4, we want to see our sin is against God. David writes, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Sin is it's not done in secret. Or it may be, but it's not like, hey, as long as it doesn't hurt other people. No, it's, it's done against God. It's done against the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who gives us air to breathe. We need to know that that sin is against God and our sin separates us from him. We know that God is holy and righteous. No evil can dwell in his presence. We see this again in Adam and Eve. The second that they sinned against God, they wanted to flee from his presence. And then they were cast out of his presence. In his mercy, he didn't kill them. But sin separates us from God Psalm 5 verse 4 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell within you. Sin is not just a small thing. Hey, no one knows. No one sees. God knows. And our sin is against him. But friends, in order to be redeemed, in order to be restored, we need to know our brokenness. From birth, we're broken. We, we are the problem. And it's before a holy God. But then if we would see our brokenness truly, if God redeems broken humanity, then we need to see that we are part of broken humanity. But then what do we do with that? We go to God with our brokenness. I want you to see through this psalm, we go to God with our brokenness. Look at verse 1, how David begins this psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. He doesn't start with, hey, Lord, I'm going to do better. Hey, Lord, I've changed. Lord, look at all the things I've done. He goes straight to God because God is merciful and kind. One commentator says this, how we view God determines how we respond to him. And so David goes to him, oh, God, according to your steadfast love, other translations, unfailing love, faithful love. This is the Hebrew word, Hesed denotes an aspect of God's character it relates, as it relates to his covenant people. A loyalty within a relationship. It's not a love like our love. It's, 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 it's a love like that we would see in, in Jesus Christ giving his life for sinners on the cross. Oh God, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy, or other translations, great compassion, and God has abundant mercy, great compassion because of his great love. 
So David, knowing this, God, this is why I'm going to you. Because of your love, because of your mercy, because of your kindness. Friends, we need to see this as David goes straight to God. Don't hide your brokenness from God. Go to him with it. I don't know about you sometimes, you know, you have people over at your house, and I really, I'm bad at it. Our house is, it's unclean. We blame it on our kids at times. But you know, it's like, you, like okay, they're going to be in these rooms, so we'll clean up these rooms, and there's other rooms that we maybe don't touch, and maybe just throw everything into those rooms. I'm sure none of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but we have this idea that we, to go to God, if you think of ourselves as like a, a house, that we need to have everything squeaky clean before we go to God. When no, you go to God with your brokenness, with your mess, with everything in it, and he helps you clean it. He helps you fix it. Because of his steadfast love and his abundant mercy. It doesn't say he has a little bit of mercy. It's an abundant mercy. We cannot drain the wells of the mercies of God. So we must go to God with our brokenness because of who he is. We must go to God with our brokenness because he invites us to. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. David writes, For you will not delight in sacrifice, for I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. He's saying, it's not as much of a, hey, I'm just going to go and do some animal sacrifices. That will make it right. What you want is not the outward act. You want the inward reality. Look at that in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Word contrite, a repentant heart, a humble heart. I don't know, if you see your sin and you're overwhelmed by it, your heart broken because of it, do you see the promise of God? God says, come to me with that. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. If you're undone, if you're remorseful because of sin, if you're feeling the weight, that's an invitation to come to God. Think about how amazing this is. I just want to press this for a bit. This broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. A few other scriptures in Isaiah 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15 Isaiah writes this, For thus, thus says the Lord, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity and whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And we're just like, wow. God who is eternal, who dwells on high. We're like, he's so far from us. How can we go to him with our sin, with our brokenness? But the verse continues. God dwells there and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. God is with the brokenhearted. God is with those who are broken because of their sin, who are undone. It's an amazing thing we see throughout Scripture, even in Matthew 5, 3, the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Right? Do we see this? We go to God with our brokenness, with our sin. Right? You guys, you guys remember what Jesus said? 
I'm not, in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 31 to 32, no, I don't remember, I had to turn there. But Luke chapter 5, verse 31 to 32, Jesus, he calls Levi to be a tax collector. A tax collector was like a dirty, rotten thing within that time period. Right? They were just like, get them out of here. They're in cahoots with the Roman Empire. Prostitutes, tax collectors, outside of society. Calls him to be a follower of him. He goes to his house for a meal. In Luke 5, verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. He didn't come for the righteous, he came for the unrighteous. He came for the sinners. He is the friend of sinners. He invites those who are broken in their sin, come to me. This is good news. If right now you're like, I'm not broken, well, praise the Lord if you're in Jesus Christ. There are going to be times in the future, in the near future, where we'll be broken and undone by our sin. And where do we go? We go to him with it. I hope you can see this. In Psalm 51, we go to God with our brokenness to be made clean, to fix our brokenness. Verse 7 and verse 10, David says this, Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Of course, we're all familiar with what hyssop is. No, I had to look it up too. It, it is a, it's, a, it's this plant that they use and it comes in a number of places within scripture. One of the places is uh, on the Passover. Going out of Egypt, God's like, hey, kill a lamb in place of your firstborn and you take the blood of the lamb and you put it over the doorpost with hyssop. There's a cleansing. It was also used in some other ways where people were unclean and they, they made this concoction and the priest would put it within hyssop and sprinkle it on them. It was about cleansing people spiritually. So that's where we'd see David's like, only Lord, you can make me clean. We see this in Numbers 19, the use of hyssop, Leviticus 14, Exodus. And David's saying really the same thing in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Think about this. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, renew a right spirit within me. It's not something that he could do. Something that needed to happen with, with inside. I was just thinking, I'm like, you know, we want to use the right tool for the job or go to the right place. Like if you're driving your car and you hear this increasing grinding noise, you want to take it to a mechanic. There's something wrong under the hood. You need to open up the hood and deal with it. You, don't hear, you hear that grinding noise, and you're like, oh, I think it's getting worse. You don't go wash your car. <laughs> but just think about this, friends. The brokenness that we have on the inside, how do we deal with it? Often it's from the outside. If we can dress ourselves up better, if we can go other places, if we can be with other people, go to different events, maybe that will fix the brokenness inside when, no, we need someone who can deal with it. We need the one who made it. We need to go to God. We need to, Lord, create in me a pure heart. Renew a right spirit within me. We need the right tool for the job. It's God, the creator. And I just want you to see this, talk about promises. God keeps his promises. I just want to trace this with you for a second. Ezekiel 36, this promise made to Israel. Ezekiel 36. I know I'm not giving you guys much time to turn. I'm trying to just go. There's your scripture on the back of the bulletin as well. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. 
This promise made to Israel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleansiness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. This promise, see this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So there's this promise There's many other ones made in the New Testament or Old Testament. Someone's going to fulfill this. How is this going to happen? Giving it hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. And again, I think tracing that Genesis 3.15, that promise, someone, a descendant of Eve, is going to come. He's going to deal with the curse. God redeems broken humanity. How? Through Jesus Christ. Even as we sang joy to the world, he came. Oh, I should have wrote it down. Does anyone know? He came to reverse the curse. As far as the curse is found. Yeah, I forget how the first part comes. I love that part. Obviously, I don't love it enough to memorize it, apparently. But Jesus came to change the curse. What does Matthew 121 say? I want you to hear this. We're going to look at this on December 24th. His name will be called Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Not maybe. Not I hope so. He will save his people from their sins. Born in a manger, but lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross for me and for you. Died for our sins. Buried in the grave, but then rose again. And anyone who would believe in him would be forgiven their sins, would be given a new spirit, a new heart, able to walk in God's ways, that God would deal with our brokenness on Jesus Christ on the cross. And so, friends, how do you, if you have never believed in him, you put your faith and trust in him. You're like, I'm going to surrender my life to him. You go to him with every broken part of you. God, you can make me new. You can forgive me. And he does. And for those of us who have been following him, we know it's not like, okay, 100%, now you're good to go. We're just like works in progress. He's given us a new heart, but we're still, we still are stumbling along the way as he's growing in us. And so there's that beautiful verse in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we just continue to go to God, continue to look to Jesus Christ, repentance and faith, right? He deals with our our brokenness as we come to him. He changes us. But then we continue to stumble along the way, and we continue to go back to him, continue to trust him, continue to go to him with our brokenness. Don't clean yourselves up and go to God. Go to God with your mess. God redeems broken humanity. Is not this like the culmination why Christmas is so good? I love presents. I love trees. I love, but man, Jesus Christ came. He redeems broken humans, and I'm broken. Praise the Lord. Let's sing some songs. Let's celebrate. And as he restores us, as he changes us, I want you to see this. Going back to Psalm 51, we're restored, redeemed to help other broken people. Look at verse 12 and 13 with me. 
Verse 12, restore to me, David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation, O Lord. Just think about this. And there is joy in salvation. There is joy in coming to know the Lord. There's joy in being restored. Again, just thinking, tying this in with the Christmas story, if you will, Luke 2:10 to 11, as the angel appears to the shepherds, he says, fear not, because everyone's scared when they see an angel. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It'll give you great joy because he's a savior, he's the Messiah, that everyone who would go to him with your brokenness and he restores you, there is great joy. Do we not see God working his plan there in the Old Testament, bringing his son, born of a manger? For those of us in Christ, we should have great joy. 1 Peter 1.8, Peter says this, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that it's inexpressible and filled with glory. Friends, as God works within our brokenness and changes us, man, we should be full of joy. It should be bubbling over. On December 26th, we should have joy. In, Dece- in January 15th, you pick a date. The most wonderful time of the year is when you're walking with Jesus Christ. So we're restored to help others. Verse 13, we're restored to help others be restored. Because what does David say? Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You restore to me the joy of my salvation. He's asked for forgiveness. Then I'm going to point others to you. We're restored to help others be restored. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, I just want to read this to you. Second Corinthians 5.20, or even 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 18, all this is from God who through Christ, reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That's the thing, if you've been restored, if you've been made new, now your job then is to go and tell others, other broken humans, they can be made new by Jesus Christ. This is the best way, right? Word of mouth. Testimonies. Think about in, in Mark's gospel, it happens in other ones. There's this guy, he's the demoniac of the Gerasenes. He's the guy who Jesus comes to, who's been bat- shackled with chains, who barely has any clothing on. He's so crazy. When Jesus talks to him, what's your name? It's Legion. There are so many demons in him. It's called Legion. And Jesus casts these demons out, sends them into pigs, they go into the water. When the people, the people, they run into town to tell other people, when they come back, the man, I love what it says, he's clothed and in his right mind. What a testimony to God. 
And then he's like, oh, Jesus, I want to go with you. He's like, go back into your town and tell people about me. That's the thing. God deals with our brokenness. He heals us so then we can in turn tell other people that we're walking advertisements. And in that, it's not just like squeaky clean. It's like, man, God's changing me. But he changed my heart. Let me tell you about it. He's still at work. But we're to be walking testimonies. We're restored to help others be restored, pointing them to Jesus Christ, pointing them to the gospel, pointing to the true meaning of Christmas. May we take advantage of this opportunity we have. Let me tell you about why we're singing Christmas songs. Because Jesus came. And we've been restored, friends. Verse 14 and 15. I'll be finishing soon. Verse 14 and 15. To worship. David says this, deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. We've been restored to worship. It leads to praise. And friends, if I were to use scripture, it would be like the entire Bible. (laughs) We were made to worship him. Sin, sin takes us away from that relationship, breaks the relationship, but as we're restored, we were made to worship him, and we do it with song. I don't know about you, like, do you sing a song to the Lord? Is there a Christmas song, Christ exalting, that you just hum? There's great joy that's giving just as you're singing a song to the Lord, you and yourself and him. Friend, that's why we always end our services with a song. We want to respond to God's goodness. We want to continue to praise his name. We've been restored to worship. I pray that you see the truth of this word, that God redeems broken humanity. I think this is is one of the major themes throughout scripture. Again, it's such good news if you see that you're broken. And it's such good news if you've seen that you're broken and you went to Jesus Christ and he has restored you and you see other people who are broken. And so then we have this this message, this knowledge that we need to share with others all throughout the year. But I pray you can write this truth in your Bible, God redeems broken humanity and Lord, help us continue to grow on that. Help us continue to grow We see God is working his plan. Yes, to bring Jesus, to bring the Messiah, but God is working his plan right now, spreading his word, building his church, reaching the lost with the gospel. God keeps his promises. May we grab hold of the promises of God. Lord, give us faith. God brings light in darkness. Oh, Lord, shine your light in our hearts. And may we be your light. And of course, as we've been talking today, God redeems broken humanity. We are broken, but in Christ we are made whole. And then may God use us to reach other broken people with the message of the gospel. I pray you can see God is working his plan. May he continue to work it in each one of us and through us. If you'll close with me, I'll close this word in prayer. Oh God, give us eyes to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. 
Oh, Lord, I pray by your spirit you would renew our hearts in you. I pray we wouldn't hide our brokenness, hide our sin, but we would go to you and confess it. I pray, Lord, you'd seal this word in our hearts and that allow us to be filled with joy even as we sing different Christmas carols, as we reflect on the birth of your son. Oh God, do this work in us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.